Right. All right, cool. Let's go. Welcome to the Sports Editors. So great to hear and chat about your, your interesting rugby career and all your involvement that you've been in with. It's so good. It seems exciting. It seems like you've been involved in many, many areas. So can't wait to hear what you have to say. But we're going to start off with your international career with Wales. And it started off well with the win against England. Um, yes. and not the friendliest of encounters. <laughs> did, did, you, did you enjoy the English rivalry more than any other fixture you played? Well, firstly, Ryan, thank you for, for asking me, you know, by way of a mutual friend, Rupert Moon, as you said. So uh, it's lovely to speak to you, and particularly uh, while well, I'm speaking to you from Wales, my favourite country, but my <laughs> second favourite place is South Africa, in particular oh, Cape Town. So yeah. it's, uh, it's a great pleasure to, and I mustn't forget Namibia, of course, but <laughs> my, Africa, my African brother. So it's lovely to be part of it. And uh, thank you for asking me to come on and um, look forward to chatting. Yes, my... My Welsh career, yeah, it was it was it was it was interesting because there was um, a bit of a, a an issue, not not as great as the pandemic we're currently suffering, but it was a foot and mouth issue back in in the mid eighties, and okay. and the England Wales game was and supposed it was supposed to have been played. I think it was in February time, uh, and um, it didn't get played until the April time, and during that period, two of the number eights because I was only twenty one at the time. Two of the number eights, uh, Eddie Butler and Richard Moriarty, had got injured. Uh, so there was an opening for a, for a young fella. So they, <laughs> so they, so they picked me, and uh, yeah, it was amazing because the England Wales rivalry is is really you know it goes back centuries as we all know, and it was just it was an amazing opportunity and, a, and an occasion to play against England. It is, you know, people still today regard it as the premier fixture in the in the Six Nations. Uh, well, if in English or Welsh it is, anyway. So, um, you know, when the, the rivalry is f- fantastic. And it, it started pretty well, although I had a few difficult games uh, or tough games against England preceding the first one. The first one was pretty good. Mm, excellent. That's a good. Because, you know, you mentioned as a Welsh player, you did very well. You won the Triple Crown. You won the Five Nations twice. Was it sort of the that tougher approach that Wales took in those times to actually get through and do as well as they did? Yeah, I think, I think Wales have done well recently um, uh, and we did well in those times. Maybe certain parts of, of my career, it was disappointing because we lost a lot of really top quality players to rugby league, particularly, particularly between 89 and 92. We lost a lot of quality players. If we'd have, if we'd have had you know, the majority of those guys stay. I think we could have been even stronger during that period, you know. Uh, and it, and, it, and, it, and it, there was, it was based around a lot of hard work. Uh, you know, it was, you had a lot of guys in the team who were manual workers at the time, whether miners or bricklayers, farmers, whatever. Uh, and, 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 you know, the recent Welsh success has been built on hard work a little bit differently because it's a professional game now. But yeah. always, you know, there, there was a big hard work element of of sport in Wales and rugby in particular, particularly when you go back to the 70s and sort of the early 80s, um, you know, uh, it, uh, well, and, 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 the, and the early 90s, it was very similar to the principles of now, which is all about hard work. And that's how we gained our, our results because we're not the biggest nation, as you know, in terms of population. But uh, yeah, we have punched above our weight on occasions. Absolutely. Yeah, it's always good to watch Wales play rugby, especially when you're going to sing the national anthem. It's, it's, it's too good. But let's talk a little bit about your, your club. 
350 appearances for Shandley. Um And there just seems to be something unique about their club. You know, guys seem to, once they come into the club, they seem to stay there. Unique atmosphere is brilliant. Is that just part of the, the culture there in Wales, just to be, be loyal and you, you stick to the club that you're at and you just work hard? I think that's what it seemed to be like there. You know, when I first played for Wales, it was a tremendous sense of pride and responsibility and, and, and you know, the history of the game in Wales. And Clenetli was very similar, you know. It was a small town, uh, you know, back in the 60s, 70s. You know, a lot of, a lot of industry there, steelworks, steelworking in particular, which some of it's still there today, fortunately, not all of it. But it was a real sense of, of, of history and, and heritage when you went through the gates of Stradley Park with the great, you know, players of the 70s, 80s, like Phil Bennett and Derek Cornell and Delmi Thomas, JJ Williams, some brilliant players, you know. And, and we, Ray Gravel, he's my first ever captain, you know, uh, grabbed the old Wales and Lions centre. You know, we toured South Africa with the Lions in 1980. So there was an amazing uh, history and heritage there. And you, you sort of, you, you, you felt that and become part of that, you know. And it was all about, the players that were there were very welcoming. And then ha as we bedded in, you know, it was a group of players with us that, you know, Yian Evans, myself, um, there was a Phil May, Lawrence Delaney, uh, Nigel Davis, lots of boys who, who we, we all played together for a minimum of five, six years in, in, you know, in some cases, 10, 11 years, you know, right? So it was an amazing place to play. Great history of winning, beating the All Blacks, beating Australia. Uh, beating the Maoris, you know, Fiji, great um, history of beating touring teams, playing touring teams. You know, we played the, the South Africa there in 94, prior to the 95 World Cup. You know, the greats like Pinar and Jus van der Vestes and Cobas Visa, those type of men, great men. Uh, God bless Jus, but, you know, some wonderful times, you know. Um, Absolutely. And we were, all, we were all made very aware of that. And, and it was a unique and special place to play rugby, you know, because of those, those, those memories and that history, you know. Mm, interesting. In talking about, about clubs and, and history and things like that, there seems to be a bit of a change coming. There's been talk of almost creating like a super league where you get your, for example, your Crusaders and your top, top teams playing in Tier 1, and you got Tier 2, Tier 3, Tier 4, Tier 5, Tier 6. Do you think something like that is attainable? And will it grow rugby, or was that just ludicrous thinking? What, what do you think? I think, you know, I think everybody's got a, got a, every sort of level has got a place, if you like. You know, the key thing to club rugby, you know, if you look at, if you look at the Crusaders, for example, you can go back to when Wayne Smith will talk about it, I was listening to a podcast by, I think it was Jay Carter and David Galebraith a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and they were, you know, Wayne Smith was on there and he was talking about, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, inauguration of the Crusaders and, and, the, and the culture it was built from and all of that, you know. And I think the local clubs, you know, you go to South Africa, you know, in, in, in Cape Town, you know, Western Province and... You know, you go back, um, you know, the Lions and, and you've got all these provinces and, and the super rugby teams have been born out of the provinces. Yeah. But ultimately, when you go back to it, it's all about the local and the local rivalry and the local derby. So there's a big place in rugby for that. Yeah. You know, and there's also a place in rugby for representative rugby. And whether, you know, the representative rugby takes the guise of super super rugby, um, 
uh, you know, of of international rugby. Obviously, I just think there's it's important not to lose that that local rivalry mm. and those local derbies. Mm. I think they're very important because we all get a little bit parochial and tribal now and again, and we're all proud of being, you know, attached to Leslie or attached to, as I say, Western Province or attached to. Um, you know, Unam if it's in Namibia or Wanderers, one of the local clubs, two of the local clubs there. So there's always that local pride and then there's that national identity and there's local identity. And I think you've got to take those two things into consideration in terms of what really, um, you know, uh, gets into the hearts and minds of people. Uh, and that is, that is important when you're looking at these different type of competitions moving forward, you know. Absolutely. Sure. Very, very good. Because coaching is obviously essential, and once you had called it a day from your rugby career, you went straight into coaching. You've done done very well, been very very busy. Um, obviously, that that's something you you passionate about. You want to be involved in coaching. It was actually, I, I, and you know, I've been asked this question many times because I was a leader. I was captain of Thanesley. I was very lucky to be captain for six years. I was there five years, captain continuous, and then I took a break for a year. And then I, went, I took it back on again uh, after that. And it was just, you know, it, I enjoyed the strategic side, the tactical side of the game, but I also enjoyed the inspirational, the motivational side of the game as well. And, you know, I had some great Welsh coaches. Alan Davis was a wonderful tactician, attention to detail. And then Gareth Jenkins, who, who was my only club coach who went on to coach Wales, he was an incredible motivator and an enthusiast about the game, you know. So I enjoyed those two sides and, and I wanted to try to to give back really those experiences in, in, a, in, a, in a coaching sense. And I had the opportunity to go to Leeds to do that. Uh, and I've sort of continued and yeah. it's not been in a straight line, that's for sure. It's been a, a big, big challenges, but yeah. I really enjoyed those. And, and also, you know, what I've enjoyed is, is coaching in different countries. You know, I've coached in France, England. Um, you know, South Africa, obviously, and Namibia more latterly. Uh, and it's just so interesting, the history mm. and the heritage and the culture of those different countries. And you've got to respect that and you've got to, you've got to buy into that before they buy into your rugby ideas. You know, I think it's so important to respect that. And it's something I learned more in Namibia. I have such admiration for that, for the country. Mm. Uh, and what they've gone through to be where they are and what the boys, the young men go through as well to get where they get to is just incredible. And it's been a really humbling experience being a coach, particularly in different parts of the world. I can imagine. Yeah, I know that's what rugby gets right. <coughs> we talk about different cultures, things like that. And I'd say Namibia, where you spend quite a bit of time there as well, they absolutely love their rugby and they're passionate about it. And you can see the hunger and the desire is there. They want to do well. And I think that just helps in terms of coaching the guys because if the desire is there, you just need to sort of channel it and get them going to where they want to go. Um, it must have been a jolly good experience for you there. It was, it was incredible, really, uh, dealing, with, um, dealing with two different boards at the time, dealing with World Rugby uh, and dealing with the players. The players were, and the staff actually, but the players were incredible because... You know, if you tell them to run up a hill, they'd ask you how many times to do it type of thing. They were so, um, you know, they were so um, respectful of, 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 
of 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 us and and, and what we what we found was we, we created a lot of momentum in that way but as we went on we tried to improve the self-awareness of the, the individual players and, and and in turn then their awareness of others was 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 improved and it it made them become far far more uh, self-reliant self-driven than they than they'd ever been and they learned so much and they, they, their effort to learn about themselves and then about others for the benefit of the team was incredible and the pride that they had you know putting that fish eagle on their chest was incredible and for us to go to the last two World Cups and be, you know, relatively competitive against certain people, you know, uh, was certain teams like being 10-9 down after 37 minutes against New Zealand was incredible. Although the final scoreboard looked a little bit uncomfortable, for us to be in that position is an incredible testament to the mm. players and their families and the country and what it was built on and... and and, 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 and what it thrives on today was there for those 36 minutes, you know, and yeah. it was so it was so heartbreaking not for them to have that opportunity to play against Canada in the last game where they could have won it and created a bit of history for themselves and created a wonderful, you know, legacy for the next generation to build on, you know. Absolutely. Because it's always an interesting one, you know, you look at expectations versus reality. South Africa is expected to make the semi-finals every year, or every World Cup, I should say. How do you manage sort of the expectations of the Namibian players versus the reality? Because once you pull up for the World Cup, it's great, we sort of made it, but you realize, well, we think, well, there's still a lot more work to do. But you want to go in there and enjoy the World Cup. So how do you manage that expectation versus reality? I think it, it was very important that, you know, there was enjoyment, you know, in 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 the in the process for sure, and and we we had four values: with discipline, contribute, attitude, and respect. And those were the four values that we ended up really building in the last eighteen months after qualification. And what we looked at is what were the standards of performance we had to reach to be competitive at World Cup level, and then do particularly going to Japan. We had four years then to build those characteristics in the group, whether it was physical, whether it was mental or technical and tactical. So, yeah. as I said, the mental side, we looked at developing the self-awareness of the players. Then we looked at how we identified pressure and manage pressure. So, huge expectations to qualify. But within that becomes, you know, lots of scrutiny. The, the circumstances of not qualifying were unthinkable, really. Yeah. But we tried to keep that away from the players by having a sort of a process-driven approach rather than an outcome-driven approach, you know? So we knew if we'd, if we'd have prepared as, as well as we could, we would qualify. And then if we prepared as well as we could, based around the statistics we knew or the performance levels we needed to hit, we would be competitive. So it was all about a journey, really, right, of continuous improvement uh, and self-awareness. And, and that was that's where I got so much, you know, respect and love for the players to be honest because we used to do training sessions at five o'clock in the morning in the early days and trying to get some of the players I previously coached with respect to them to get up at five in the morning to do a scrimmage session it would be it would be a battle to say the least but yeah absolutely the boys and the coaches were were amazing they were at it and they were up and they were doing those sort of things so it was quite incredible what they achieve considering the the lifestyle that they had, um, you know, to, to cope with. Because we're not. It was only thirty percent professional players or twenty percent. 
the rest are all local base boys. But since, a lot of others have gone on to be professional players. So it's wonderful, really. Yeah, because I just want to touch on that. I want to go back to another question. Professionally, um, do you, is there sort of, was there in your town there any talk of the government stepping in and, and helping them have a whole unit of professional players? Or was that still going to take a few more years to get there? Yeah, it'll take a few more years. The, the government, you know, uh, do, do, a, do a great job, but they, they've all, also got other sports and they've also got other challenges within the country, as you, as you, as you, as you would understand. So mm -hmm. they, were, they, they were supportive when they could be supportive financially. You know, there was, there was a wonderful lady called Joan Schmidt there. She was the chairman of the uh, Namibian Olympic uh, Coaches Association. She was a wonderful lady. And she's still there now, fortunately. And she's trying to help grow all sports in Namibia, but to have certain infrastructures from a, from a point of view of how to develop people from a skill level, a physical level, and a mental uh, mental health, mental uh, mental skills. So there are lots of good things going on, but it does take time to develop. And we we, we went from a you know we we try to create more of a semi professional environment, and hence. The, the opportunity to play in the Curry Cup, which Saro have given us for a number, given them for a number of years. Although again, it's been difficult, but we were sort of amateur type players, um, uh, training, you know, uh, two or three times a week against fully professional sides. So there, it, there is a foundation there now for that to potentially go if we can match, you know, if we can match the rugby with the economics. There's a potential for it to happen in due course, but it's also trying to grow the club game from seven teams to maybe 10 or 12 teams uh, to have a premier competition which covers the whole of the country. But it's such a big country as well, so as you know, so it's, it's a beautiful country, but it's a huge country. So there are logistical challenges as well, but the, the board is, is, you know, the board and the governance of the game are trying really hard for that to happen. But... I think it's a few more years down the track again, you know. No, it'll be good. It'll be good to have a neighbouring country dominating in rugby and doing what they do all the time. And more consistently, if I can say it like it's, it'll be great. Um, and just talk about the World Cup briefly. And it's, it's always a tough one as a coach because you, you really work hard and you, you have the best interests of the players at heart. But if there's sort of one moment or one game or situation that you could take with you and say, that's it, that was just the thing that you needed to see as a coach it made you realise... These guys are on the right track. Yeah, there were, the, as I said, it, it was we were always looking at that process of development. So in one game, we'd look to maybe retain the ball for X amount of phases. In another game, so we'd have individual outcomes in each game that we could we could hold on to and build towards the the, the Canadian game. So you know, against Italy, we you know we wanted to score tries and we wanted to have a quick start in the game and. And we were doing really well uh, in that game. We scored a wonderful try, Damien. We scored three tries in that game, which was terrific. So we'd achieved a couple of objectives. Then we went on to South Africa and achieved, you know, uh, a couple of objectives out of, out of the three or four we set. Same with New Zealand. And those were the times where, you know, the first half against Italy, certain parts of the South Africa game in stopping their, you know, their mall and different things. The New Zealand game, again, was trying to stay in the arm wrestle uh, in the first quarter. Those type of things, Ryan, you know, when, when you can see those things happening, you think, you know what, it's, the, you know, it's fantastic to see and knowing all the effort that's gone in 
you know, for the players and, and off the field as well. They're wonderful mm. ambassadors with, you know, for their country. So there were little things like there were behavioural things off the field and there were also, you know, technical, tactical things on the field that you yeah. think, yeah. to be fair to them, we've, we've, come, we've come a long way, you know. Did you get Jacques Berger to give you one or two inspirational speeches once in a while? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's always been there and thereabouts. Yeah, yeah he's, he's, he's brilliant. And he... You know, there are, there are guys like Jacques, Daryl De La Harpe, Tina Stuprasi, you know, Eugene Yanchis, Cassandra Botha, boys who, David Philander, boys who have retired from playing out but could give so, so much to the country. And hopefully they'll, I know they're using, I know David and Cassandra are coaching at national level, but there are also other really good guys. Sergio De La Harpe is developed into an outstanding young conditioner. You know, so there's a, there's a lot of really, you know, uh, good people there that can, that can that can drive the game on, you know. Mm, excellent, excellent. So you, you've been very busy keeping yourself involved in European clubs during your time with Namibia as well. Um, is it a case where you sort of take all the positives from, from the various clubs that you had and use it to your advantage as, as a coach? Yeah, the one thing, you know, the one thing I've learned over time, and I haven't always done it as well as perhaps I should have, looking back now, is, is reflection on your experiences, really, and, and what, what have gone well, and, and what are things that you can learn from, Ryan, really, and, and those are important. It's important to learn all those rugby lessons. It's important to learn the, the behaviour, the cultural type lessons. And when you go into a new country you know, or to a new a new place, or even coming back home, the Wales to coach, it's researching what the trends are, the way people behave, you know, the history of the country on and off the field. So all those little things, you know, are very important to, 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 to take into account and remember and how you then can apply something different. And you've got to win, you know, the hearts and minds. You've got to win the hearts and minds. People don't buy into plans. They buy... They buy into movements or into causes, things that, you know, intrinsically move them or touch them uh, or get them excited about whatever that might be, you know, to get out of bed in the morning and, and, and do a scrum session at five o'clock, for example. So it's, it is, it's all about learning and, and mm-hmm. reflecting uh, on your experiences, learning from them and then applying them into the context that you, you, you currently find yourself in. Ah, that's excellent. That's so good. Because you obviously now back in, in England, doing a bit of coaching there. Am I right in that you are with um, Yorkshire Carnegie? Is that right? Yeah, it's going to be called Leeds Tykes from now on, but if that's what it was when I was there first 20 odd years ago. But yeah, it's just to, it's, you know, to try to, the club has sort of dropped from the premiership to the, no. from tier one level really, to tier three level in England now. So... It's about trying to reset the club and you know build it on four key pillars: coaching, talent, ID, governance, and partnerships, and and try and reset the club with a group of people and and try and get it moving forward again. And it, you know it was the first club that gave me an opportunity to play rugby. So when when they asked me to you know to go back and 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 be part of this sort of reset effort, um, yeah, I'll do do that for a period of time and then. Also, I've got a leadership company where I do a lot of, you know, sort of speaking about leadership, building teams, creating cultures, you know, operating under pressure, that type of thing. So we put that into companies, into businesses. And yeah, it's all, you know, it's all, it's all around coaching and leadership. 
uh, coaching mainly in, in the sporting space, but then leadership in a bit of both business and sports. So it's very varied and very lucky and I enjoy it. But Leeds is a, is, is a passion, mm. uh, given the history with the club. And, and we had some great South African players there at times, Brahm and Brahm yeah. and Stratton. Uh, Yapi Mulder was there, Gareth Wright, who's now a, a coach with the Stormers in Western Province. Um, yeah. Andre, Andre Sneedman, who's actually now coaching over in England, doing a coach at, coaching job at Millhouse School in Doncaster. So, Snees is over. So, we've had a lot of good, you know, great South African players, great men as well, you know. Uh, so, yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, that's again, like, like I mentioned earlier, it's, it's amazing what rugby's done and what is rugby is currently doing in terms of bringing people together and just finding solutions because I think many people are finding themselves in interesting situations but rugby just seems to keep on winning so it's, it's really really good to see. Let's talk about an interesting competition that you've won twice, the Six Nations. Um, who's going to pivot? It seems like it's tough between France and England. It's going to be really really tough this year but who's your money on? And then going forward, um, Fiji and um, for another country that's involved. Japan, yeah, Japan. Japan. So first up, the six, the current one, who's going to win it? And <laughs> going forward, uh, yeah, it's, it's. I think England will. Although France have obviously changed the coaching team this year and put in some, you know, some outstanding performance in a country. You know, they're going to. You're going to have to watch them in 2023. They're going to be really challenging to win the World Cup. But I think England will pip it uh, this particular one, and then. Um, obviously, hopefully, 2021 will be back to normal. You know, we've never seen Six Nations games being played in October uh, prior to this, but you know, it is unprecedented times for all of us around the world. So let's hope everyone is, stays healthy and mm. and fit and comes through it. Um, and we move to a diff, you know, a, I don't know, a different life in many ways. But it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Um, England, I think, will pip it. And then, you know, a really exciting sort of eight-country tournament, which adding in Japan and Fiji with the Six Nations teams uh, for an extended window, uh, international window, October, November, early December. So that's a bit unprecedented as well. Yeah. But it's hopefully, you know, working towards a global calendar as well at some point, which would be really terrific for international rugby and club rugby. And I think if they went into slots of time, I think, you know, both uh, the game as a whole would benefit from it, particularly the club game, you know. So, some exciting times ahead, but I also think some tough decisions to be made, uh, particularly, you know, at the club game to to blend in with the international game. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, but it's, it's it, I think it's keeping everyone on their toes to see what happens next. It's, it's all good. So, I'll touch on one thing as we sort of draw to an end. Um, you know, you look at World Cups and it has been dominated by the Southern Hemisphere. But do you see that trends slowly changing simply because more of the Southern Hemisphere players are playing in the Northern Hemisphere? Do you think that's going to strengthen the rugby overall and it will help the Northern Hemisphere sides perhaps win another World Cup? I know you're off well, so you might have a slightly biased year, and I'm joking. <laughs> I, I have a bias view. <laughs> but it's always an interesting topic because, you know, the Southern Hemisphere guys are always proud. We've, we've won eight World Cups and the Northern Hemisphere have only won one. But the Northern Hemisphere are playing jolly good rugby at the moment. Surely it's just a matter of time. 
Yeah, I think I think you know you, you could look at lots of um, reasoning at times for you know the the sort of southern hemisphere um, dominance to a degree, I suppose, particularly at World Cup time, as you say, in, you know, in terms of preparation and timings at the end of the season, the length of you know, like you could say, sometimes Super Rugby is a sprint, and the Prem- English Premiership is a marathon because of the you know the time and uh, the, the, the 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 amount of games, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there's 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 a lot of things to take in into account. You know, conditions. Um, you know, when we play, the conditions of the fields. You know, hot, dry tracks, wet. You know, muddy tracks. Although nowadays at, at professional level, you know, the, the playing surfaces in the Northern Hemisphere and the Southern Hemisphere are, are amazing. So I think, you know, over the period of time, I think that the game is is two different styles again, you know, whereas it's 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 speed and skill, you know, and it's about movement, but in the Northern Hemisphere, you know, it's more close quarter at times, you know, there's a lot of mauling, you know, picking and going around the rucks. So I think that, you know, what's happened is Southern Hemisphere teams have learned a bit more about the Northern Hemisphere games because of coaches and players being here. And I think vice versa, you are saying, I'd love to coach in the Southern Hemisphere for a period of time, Super Rugby or Curry Cup Rugby. I had the experience with Namibia uh, and I'd love to have the experience again. So it's, it's, it's about that understanding of the two different styles. And I think wherever you get players and coaches in either or, they will all take because if you can blend the southern hemisphere and northern hemisphere style together, it would be pretty, pretty impressive. Um, <laughs> so it's yeah, I, th- I think it's a good thing, and I think you know both teams, uh, both styles, I think are good um, and have their place in, in in at certain times. If you look at South Africa, you know their their pressure game without the ball during the World Cup was incredible, yeah. and their work rate, you know, it was was amazing. Uh, they were coached, you know, they were strengthening edition by a Welshman, <laughs> so, uh, who, who we know pretty well. But yeah, it's, it's just, it, it's a lot of it's about timing and a lot of it's about conditions and then it's about how you adapt. Uh, and that's happening more and more both sides uh, as people get, you know, get experience on both sides, you know, if that makes sense. Yes, no, for sure, for sure. Phil, and obviously you played number eight. Um, in your opinion now, who do you think is, is dominating with the number eight T-shirt at the moment, or jersey, I should say? Um, I think the two, the two names that jump out, obviously, Keenan Reid was, was an amazing player, mm-hmm. you know, and you've got Dwayne Vermeulen, I think, who produced his best form in the World Cup, one of the match for South Africa, and then you've got Billy Vinopola, so all really, you know, Dwayne Vermeulen and Vinapur are quite powerful players, you know. Reed maybe, you know, more of a footwork number eight, but still a good carrier, good link player as, as well. And you got, you know, you got Toby Falatau as well, the Welsh number eight, who's who's who have coached at under twenty level when he was a young man coming through, who's another great eight, you know. So there are lots of them, you know. But at, at the moment, you've got a Vermeulen, arguably he's man of the match in the World Cup. That's yeah. That's a pretty high accolade to to achieve at world level most recently. So, you know, I think he's the guy at the minute who, who who's the you know the icon number eight around the world. I think. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, that's that's nice to hear. 
Yeah. Yeah, it would be. And it wasn't because I'm speaking to a South African either. It's just what I'm speaking. Like you never do this. Uh, well, it's, it's good. And I, I think rugby, um, again, is always open to develop and change and try and be as dynamic as it, as it can be. Um, and moving forward, I just think it's, you touched on the World Cup 2023. I think it's going to be an exciting World Cup. I think it's going to be lots of changes. And I think players are really developing the skills to try and always just get that much more better, that much more better every time. And that's why it's becoming such a great game to watch. Yeah. yeah, I think I think speed, speed, power, and skill are going to be the the real. Not that they are not now, but I think those will be the three key words. Are you? You know, the game is getting faster. Yeah. You know, so it requires people to obviously be quicker. Whether it's quicker around the field, whether it's quicker off the ground, whether it's quicker reactions. So you know, there's there's those are the three words I think we'll see. You know, uh, uh, really coming into yeah. their own, or the three. You know, the three key components that we're going to try and develop in rugby players as the game is getting quicker world rugby are trying to speed it up make it safer which is hugely important of course uh but yeah it's going to be an exciting time and when you look at the french poof, they have a lot of skill and flair they've got some big men as well but big buggers but yeah. it's going to be a really interesting uh next world cup cycle i think yeah, I think as the time draws closer, maybe we'll have a chat again and, and discuss who you, we think is actually going to win it because it's, I think it's going to be a hard one to, to decide. Um, I think New Zealand will come back strong um, because I don't, know, I don't know how they get it right. But if you look in terms, and perhaps it's similar to Wales, in terms of the number of players playing and their success, what is it? What leads to... New Zealand being so successful in terms of purely the number of players they have. I know culture is a big thing. Culture is a massive thing. Yeah, I, I, I just think I, I was. I think it was. Do you remember Ben Ben Darwin? Is it, I think it was Ben Darwin. He was an ex Wallaby prop, and he, he he works in analytics now. And he did a he did he did a a really interesting. Um, bit of research on New Zealand rugby and he talked he talked yes culture is important but all, he also talked about cohesion uh, and he talked about the cohesion of the of the system that they have and then the consistency of that cohesion over periods of time that has led them to be you know as, as consistent as they are uh, and as skillful as they are under pressure and I think there's a lot to be said you know for you know for that if you look at a lot of other countries yes they'll have good systems but maybe they're not as cohesive for as long as the New Zealand system has been. Ireland are very similar. Ireland have a very cohesive system, cohesive pathway to developing players through from, from a schoolboy age, if you like, to a uh, senior rugby age. Uh, and I think a lot to, you know, and Eddie Jones talks about cohesion of system. You know, it's, it, you know it, it is the resources that your reality can produce but it needs to be cohesive and consistent for you to be successful moving forward. And I think that's, that's something I think that they've, uh, that they've done really well. That is a consistency there. There's a real understanding of what they're trying to do. And it's, it's cohesive. And I think that really helps them. Uh, are Wales looking at something similar like that? Or do they have something in place? Um, yeah, I think we're all we're always striving for for the connection, you know, between uh, schoolboy rugby into senior rugby, and then you know the success of the transition from senior rugby, 
whether it, uh, from club senior rugby, sorry, or, 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 or regional rugby in Wales to international rugby and try to get that, that pathway as, as, as cohesive uh, and um, uh, as seamless as possible. And that's something we, I know in Wales we are looking at, you know, in terms of bringing coach ed- schoolboy rugby, is coach education involved in that? There's mental skills development, you know, there's basic skill development, there's, there's team culture development, all those type of important things, Ryan. Uh, mm. I think we're always, you know, everyone's striving to improve that, but I think I would, I would argue New Zealand and, and an island for small nations like ourselves, Wales, demographically the populations are similar. Uh, I think those two stand out. You know, they were number one, two, three in the world at one stage in 2019 were the smallest uh, countries, you know, population, demographic population in the world. And, and then you obviously had England and South Africa, which are arguably two of the biggest. Yeah, this is true. Yo, so much to consider and look at. And that, again, that's why I said it's, it's such a good game to discuss and, and analyze. And yeah, it's really, really good. But Phil, it's been so good to chat to you. Thanks so much for your insights and talking about your career and what you've been up to. I think whoever's got you is, is, is very lucky to have you because it's, it's proper, proper look into what happens. So it's really good. Thanks so much, Phil. No, but stay safe and thanks a lot. Absolutely. You guys, are, you guys are really great to chat to you. Thank you, Phil. I really appreciate it. Because I'm just no, a pleasure. human running around here. So thank you so much. No, brilliant. Pleasure. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thanks, Ryan. Oh, Thanks for adapting with the time as well. Thank oh, you. Oh, good. Anytime. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ryan. Take care. Bye now.